and welcome to Love Love Tennis, where tennis talk starts. I'm Ruth Dobson Torres, host of the Love Love Tennis podcast. The goal of this episode and all future episodes is to promote the sport of tennis by sharing diverse and interesting opinions and voices about all things happening in the tennis world today. So let's get started. Hi, everybody. This is Ruth Dobson Torres with our Love Love Tennis podcast. I'm really excited today. Um, We've got a great guest for you guys. Um, Let me tell you a little bit about her. She's originally from Elon, North Carolina, and currently resides with her family in Raleigh, North Carolina, the capital city. She is a 2010 graduate of North Carolina State University, where she earned her BA in sociology, specifically focused on the development of elite athletes. She minored in both fitness leadership and coaching education. While at NC State, she was also a member of the varsity swimming and diving team. Since 2004, she has served as a brand representative of the NSA Juice Plus Global Nutraceutical Company, promoting its products and passionately advocating that there is no better medicine than food and nothing more important to your health. She is also a strong advocate for mental health and balance as related to the chance for success of young athletes and the athletes of the future. Her career of late has included jobs and consulting assignments in the marketing and public relations arena. However, her chief job focus right now is on being CEO of her household and mom to her two children and pursuing a career as a female stand-up comedian. So with all of that said, welcome to our Love Love Tennis podcast, Victoria Niemeyer. Thank you. I love, love being here. It's so Gazellas is like a Dutch word for like cozy. You just give off a really welcoming vibe. So, oh, thank you so much for having me here. You're welcome. I know it was a pleasure for me to meet you actually in person recently. And I thought you gave off such a wonderfully positive energy and vibe that I thought I've got to have her on the podcast, especially hearing about you and what your interests are. So, um, I know it's going to be fun. And I know our listeners are really going to appreciate your insights and perspective today. And that's one of the things that Love Love Tennis, we're all about is building a community of diverse points of view, you know, with our blog and with this podcast. So thank you again. Very cool. Um, to start us off, I will, um, you know, want to mention that I know you're a native of North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, you grew up not too far from the Triangle area um, here. And um, different than a lot of our previous guests, um, it seems that maybe your love, love for the game of tennis in your youth was overpowered maybe by your interest in swimming and other sports. And I know that you ended up on the swimming and diving team in college. So can you share a little of your introduction to tennis as a youth and tell us about the extent of your connection to the game of tennis right now? Absolutely. I mean, um, well, my parents are both avid tennis players and we grew up in a small neighborhood in Elon called Westbrook Forest. And I think it is one of those quintessential southern towns that has like the neighborhood pool built into the area but we have it like one step up like these people really cared about it it was such a labor of love for I mean honestly I I didn't know anyone in the neighborhood that wasn't a member of the of the community of that community and it's just a very competitive tennis environment and I grew up I think the calling of the water was maybe too much for me like on a hot day (laughs) that looks really fun and all, but like, I'd much prefer to like socialize at the pool. And, you know, I like to work in the mornings and work in the evenings and like play in the the day or something. I feel like, like trained me to do that, Mm -hmm. but I always appreciated playing. And 
I would get a little bit of, I would get frustrated. And I think it helped me like with swimming, you can't communicate during your frustrations. Like your face is in the water. You're not able to even really express yourself. So I think, you know, I would always, I remember Jag who was the head pro at our club. I would always take clinics and I, I, I so admired his coaching, like his coaching helped shape my coaching the way he, the way he was so calm and tranquil. And there's just something so important about letting people be reactive, especially children and not, and not reacting yourself the way that, that you think they should, because every kid comes from a different household. So like what they think is right and wrong, you know, plays into that or what their parents do, or, you know, even with multiple generations of tennis players where we grew up, you know, we would, watch a couple games or I always like to watch tennis at night. I don't know what that is, but right. I want to sit in the hot sun. I'm telling you the pool, I would be like thinking how much longer do I have to sit here before I can go hop in the water. Right. But, but we would watch some games. And I remember my parents would say stuff like, Oh, he plays just like his dad because my dad was playing his dad and like watching the younger generation. So I think I grew up around a very mindful set of athletes Yes. And swimming was like a byproduct of it. Like we happened to be in a neighborhood where GSA swimmers swam. Mm -hmm. So when I was really young, those swimmers started to coach. And I remember, I remember Julie Dirac. She's, she was basically my idol. Like I wanted to be just like her, the way she swam, the bathing suits that she wore. She used (laughs) to wear like the skinny strap neon suits. And those are still ones that I gravitate towards, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, I just remember just being obsessed with wanting to, to mimic. And, and, and I feel like it's a healthy way with athletics, you know, yeah. and, and some other things it can be not so healthy, like with, right. you know, it depends on what kids find. Right. Um, but also her coaching sh- changed my coaching, but I'm very aware that it was timing and location that put me there. Right. So I tried to, you know, uh, understand that. And I even like, I always, wanted to play tennis. Like I wanted to sort of impress my parents with that. Like I even say, I would say stuff like, well, I'm just learning so I can play with my parents, like whatever. But I, I did not want to play because I just, I could see it. Right. It was there. And like on the way, on the way into the pool, it says, it was like, (laughs) everything's, everything begins with love or, you know, it's like a tennis pun. And that was like our mantra. And I just remember seeing it before big swim meets and just (laughs) like, all that stuff. It just like really shaped me, you know? Well, I do think, yeah, there are a lot of tennis players who also swim. I'm someone who I'm not, you know, a swimmer like you're a swimmer and have been a swimmer, but I also enjoy swimming laps. And my husband who plays tennis, he does as well. So of course, too, if you have the opportunity to be in a club-like environment where there's a pool and the courts or um, we have uh, in here in Morrisville, North Carolina, near where I am now, we've got a wonderful new um, auditorium, you know, for, for the city. And then there are tennis courts as well around you know, Cary. So I think that they are complementary to a certain extent, but I definitely wanted to touch on it. What about right now? So you're still, you, you do, do you play any tennis? Um, I mean, I kind of feel bad. I, um, I sort of <laughs> okay. taken everything back, but I, I felt overtrained as an athlete. And so my, my, my means of moving now is like, of course, play. Um, but I'm afraid to play tennis to start playing because I'm so competitive and, you know, in it, it's, 
studying the class struggles, I've been very aware of, and maybe you've heard this concept of silver spoon sports. Have you heard of this? I have not. So, so silver spoon okay. sports are considered swimming, tennis, golf, those sports that you kind of have to be upper class or have upper class connections to even start doing. Right, right. So for me, it's like, I sort of rejected that identity for a long time, like especially yeah. as an adult and as a parent. Yes. Um, because I studied class struggles for so long and I coached at a country club that didn't actually have access to tennis, which frustrated me. Right. Um, because I was like, I'm getting golfers. And it's like, I, I knew the other kind of silver spoon athletes, right. like tennis players are just a little bit different. They're more playful, maybe right. um, a little bit he- healthier mindset in, okay. in a sense. Cause just, it's like, I don't know. It's well, just something. I don't that, know. It's interesting that you should mention that because I don't know if you've heard um, of a, there's a organization playyourcourt.com. And I actually would love to have the two guys that sort of started that uh, as guests on the podcast, but that whole uh, website and that whole effort is to try to open up the game of tennis. And that's what my, this podcast, our podcast is about as well. Like I was saying, diverse voices and, and tennis, the USTA right now has been putting on, uh, try tennis, uh, you know, across the nation, like they've got kits and they're really trying to open it up. But yes, historically that concept of that you're describing of the silver spoon, certainly, um, I get it. What you're saying, I had not heard it specifically put that way, but I, I have heard people talking about that. And, um, if you, I think playyourcourt.com has had some interesting ads on some of the social channels like Facebook, and they sort of make fun almost of the club, you know, atmosphere. But I know there's great people at clubs, and then there are great Absolutely. people not at clubs. But and, um, it's interesting. And I totally see you, it from all angles. And you, so you got exposed. It sounds like to, <laughs> yeah, you're saying golfers, uh, swimmers, and tennis players. So that's great. So I wanted back to your college, uh, and yeah. what, you were swimming. What, what were you doing on the swim team? What, what I'm a sprint butterflyer. So I'm a very specific sprinter. And I think the last time I swam the 200 butterfly, which is like, I consider it distance. I think I took like almost 10 seconds off my time. And my coach was like, have you been sandbagging that event? And I was like my entire life. Like I never wanted to get good at swimming far. Like I'm just so, I like to go short spurts, short distances. So yeah, butterfly is my thing. And I like to swim on re- the relay swimmers or typically the 150 fly. 50 fly is my favorite. I can okay. get down back in like two breaths. <laughs> wow. Yes. I mean, swimming, it is, I'm sure you loved watching the uh, Tokyo. Yeah, it was cool to see. Yeah. Um, well, I know that you studied sociology and you also focused at NC State, besides swimming and, and, um, and sprints and, and all of that, that you were focused on the development of elite athletes and you Absolutely. minored in fitness, leadership and coaching. So mm-hmm. you just mentioned that you've coached. Can you talk and share yeah. a little bit with us about your educational background and your Absolutely. work? Absolutely. So for sure. And I think, you know, it's important to say that like I went to state Um, I got recruited in in swimming and the recruitment process was very overwhelming to me. I did not enjoy it. Um, It felt like the coaches were fighting over me. And Mm -hmm. I had felt that a little bit in high school because of the timing when I got into my high school team. Um, And it was like, you know, coaches get ranked on their swimmers on how good their swimmers are. And I was aware of that in high school. And I just wanted to get out of Elon and swim at 
I wanted to swim in a team that like, that liked me, you know, like I, for right. some reason it was just like, you know, camaraderie kind of thing. So I kind of went for the first coach I felt connected to Chad Onkin and he had seen me go from like not on paper to like winning races. Like I was, I started swimming really competitively year round around my junior year of high school. So I kind of came out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. So as a recruit, that's ideal because people haven't been watching you wax and wane kind of thing. Right. Um, So I came out of nowhere and I had a lot of options. I had a lot of great phone calls. I had some trips lined up, but I ended up kind of just like going with my gut and just picking NC state, which, you know, in hindsight, I could have done, I could have done better and like at least taken those other recruitment trips just to see (laughs) other campuses. But no regrets, right? No regrets. No regrets. Um, so going into college, I was just there to swim, which, you know, I didn't even really care about going to college. I think I kind of rejected, you know, what everyone said to me. I'm very much like if someone yeah. says jump, I'm like, I don't think I want to, you know, it wasn't, I'm, I'm not instinctively taking advice from people because I haven't yeah. seen what I want to do. Mm-hmm. So even with my dad, like he was very competitive and he's a doctor and the, the amount of school that goes into being a doctor looks like <laughs> so daunting. I'm like, yeah. I want to do anything else. I want to be a painter like Picasso, you know? Yeah. Like, right. So right. I didn't really care about going to college, really, frankly. And I, I, I was like, well, I guess I'll go here. And I was in first year college for two years, which is not recommended. <laughs> and I was like, I haven't, I haven't seen everything yet. Like, I don't know what I want to do. And my advisor was like, you have to pick a major today or yeah. you can't swim in the meet this afternoon. And I was like, well, what are my options? And she was like, well, your GPA is a little bit too low for communications, which is what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And saying that is going to make some people laugh because they're going to be like, she couldn't even get into calm. Like, oh my gosh, what was she doing? <laughs> I was like, two years, two years of wandering. Okay. Right. And, and then I basically picked sociology because I was like, well, you know, study of society, I can apply that to anything, but it was literally kind of a sign to me. So I just tried to make the best of it when I, when I picked it out, but I realized I could still study myself in sociology because having grown up at a racket club, which I'm not sure if I told you this, but we also were members of the country club across town, which is a Donald Ross course, which is one of the best golf course designers in the United in and yeah. anywhere. He's yeah. famous for it. Um, and my dad played golf, so he wanted to be a member of both. But since we lived near the racket club, we would we were members of the racket club. Right. But I had no concept of money. Like when we swam at the country club, I was right. swimming for the racket club. And I thought I could buy everybody a Snickers bar. Right. Right. I was like, put it on N13. Like, ah. And they were just, my, my parents were like, what is this? And I was like, what right. do you mean? Like, I, like, what do you mean? Yeah. I'm just, yeah. It's just, being friendly. Yeah. We're it's just $30 in candy. Like, yes. who cares? <laughs> but I didn't know that it was money. So it's like, I, I kind of grew up feeling very lucky because I did go to a high school where there was, there was some class differences. Right. And I did get the vibe that I was kind of like a rich kid, but I didn't like that at all. Right. I was like, the sociology was, so you're saying that studying your, you know, this was an area and a realm, that curriculum where you could study everyone and sort of get out of that. I don't want to say bubble to it, yeah. but it, it's sounding like that's what you're, you're getting to. Absolutely. People. I was it's really curious and you're really curious about life outside of not that it's not great. And everybody, like I was saying, they're great people who are members of clubs and they're great people who are not, but just right. having that broader view of the world 
and people. Absolutely. And I understand networking. Like I, as an adult, have been very involved in, I actually helped start North Hills Networking. And when I worked in advertising, I got the advantage of knowing people and like hanging out with them, right. but also maybe doing business together if you vibe, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. So the clubs for that reason make total sense. And it's why you know, successful business owners use them as a tax write-off because it's completely understandably a business advantage. But also the amount of interaction that goes around that, it's like the town itself, like Elon is such a small town that like I remember friends that came over to my house who had never been to the racket club and it was such a big deal to them that it made me feel embarrassed. Right. You know, I was like, oh my gosh, I just completely took this for granted for like 16 years like and how and Elon is a smaller community you're now living in the the capital city Raleigh yeah Uh, but it sounds a bit as if you really did have that experience of sort of and I came you know I was brought up in a small town in North Carolina as well but getting um getting the um experience of sort of uh getting sometimes you you're in that fishbowl but getting to the bigger sea you know, at, yeah. at college and then specifically with this major that you chose. And so the focus that you had in your minors, you know, related to, you know, you, you I understand you were focused on development of elite athletes and then you were um, minoring in fitness leadership and coaching education. How does that, how did that, you know, integrate with the sociology or did it? Well, so I took, I ended up taking a lot of my minor classes because I just loved the classes. The teachers were amazing. I loved that I could take a class and movement was part of my grade. And I always improved little things, even with, with like weightlifting. You know, I, I frustrated the fire out of my teacher. Like he would take me aside and be like all the time. But I felt such good coaching guidance through that. So I was becoming a better athlete by taking these my, these minor classes. Right. And it was almost kind of like my, my inter interactive therapy. I was integrating what I was learning immediately into my life. I also was coaching a summer league swim team every summer. So I took summer courses. I was fully emerged in like the college situation when I was swimming. But I think with sociology, because I kind of got forced into sociology, I didn't understand how it could mesh really. Right. And I ended up kind of having an, I had an injury where I, I, I wanted to swim my senior year, but something happened where I couldn't. And I was in sociology class and you get assigned like your dissertation kind of thing. Like you have to pick a topic and like really focus on it. And I just couldn't figure out what I wanted. So they gave me like AIDS in women in Africa, which I'm sure I would have learned a lot, but it just wasn't my calling. And I could tell, and I was like, I'm going to fail this class if I keep going this way. I can, I, I have to drop it. I have to drop it. So I dropped it and took a year off of school, which I remember standing in my front yard. My parents were like, you're going to not go back. (laughs) And like, it was this huge thing, right? I was like, I can't be there anymore. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of money. I wasn't swimming anymore. So I felt like a floating head. I was literally like, you know, we have this thing, you know, it's like this, this phrase, it's like you're either an athlete or you're a normie. And I was like, I don't know how to be a normie. I need to go figure out how to be a normie. Like I needed to do it. Interesting. I still wanted to be swimming. Honestly, I would, I, I never identified myself as not a swimmer. So right. when I picked, when I went back to school in sociology, I picked the development of elite athletes because there's this amazing article and it's this 
um, sociologist Chambliss, and he talks about Silver Spoon Sports. And I read that article and I knew I was reading about myself. Right. And I was like, this is it. This is, this is like the pinnacle of my understanding in society. Like I thought I've kind of felt misplaced, displaced, honestly, for so long. Cause I just like always in trouble. Didn't want to learn like everybody else wanted to move more than sit. Like, why am I, why am I always in trouble? And so once I studied this whole concept of being an athlete and applying it to sociology, I picked three areas And it's timing, location, and parenting. And those three elements can be easily applied. And the teachers that I had in my minors loved it. They loved the questions I was asking because I was basically using my minors to gather like the studies for my major. So that's kind of how I fell into it. And it sounds amazing now that I'm talking about it, but it felt like torture. I felt like I was going through so much in college. So thank you for asking that question. Oh, you're welcome. Well, I was just thinking one of the questions, you know, when I learned of your background, um, I was thinking about the, the recent, you know, Olympic games, Tokyo in 2020. And the fact that all of those athletes are the most elite athletes in the world. They were gathered there and it was so wonderful for all of us, I guess we could say normies, <laughs> I would call myself a normie, uh, that we were watching them, you know, being inspired. But I, I know that to get and reach that level, it is such a small percentage of athletes, obviously that become Olympians, but just to be an athlete at an elite level, like you, to get a college scholarship. I mean, there's different uh, very, uh, gradations or, uh, you know, of what elite means, but it's still, I feel like sort of a small percentage of people. So I was wondering about, you know, did some of your studies, like those concepts that you were talking about, uh, can you delve into a little bit of how you've been able to apply that? Because I would imagine it would be very competitive to try to get a job, Uh, working with an elite athlete even. So how, you know, how did you take some of the things you learned and have you worked with elite athletes or, you know, has your coaching been? um, Yeah. So I would say that that's a great question because it's almost like my whole life. I I've been very aware of the normies of the people who are on the outside looking in. Um, So even when I was an elite athlete. I didn't love the attention. And in high school, I remember, you know, my freshman year, there wasn't a swim team at my high school. So we petitioned and I swam with another high school. Um, but I was like so much faster than so, so many of like the regular kids. But I remember I started this thing and I still do it. And I still make every team I coach do it is no matter how far ahead I was when I finished, I waited until every single swimmer touched the wall. Because I didn't want my elite status to overshadow someone else's hard work. And that, to me, was like, it was the saddest part of the elitism of swimming. You know, it's like the fastest ones get all this attention. And there are so many other swimmers that are swimming just as hard that just haven't made it yet. They haven't figured out how things click for them. They haven't gotten that body angle right. They haven't tweaked it just ever so. But for me, it also made me reject. I don't love to hang out with elite athletes. Like I don't, I feel bad. I kind of threw up on Ryan Lochte's shoes once at a bar. Cause I was like hanging out and I, I almost got overwhelmed by all their attention. Cause I know them as like people. Yes. Interesting. And I was like, 
So you've, yeah, so you, it sounds like, and this is, I think is great, but you know, some people say that they discover themselves through their sport. And, you know, I know that tennis for me has been, you know, I feel like I learned something, you know, in every match, every time I'm out there, I'm sure you were learning so much through swimming, but then it really does sound like that you were gaining insights into who you are as a person through yeah. your major, which I'm not sure that happens to everybody. Well, I mean, college is college, but that is so interesting to me. But so, so your work, you rejected in a sense, any elite, elitism, so to speak, um, related to your sport and, and, and related to who you're coaching. You, you just want to work with all levels. Is that what I'm hearing? I want everyone to get better and understand they can get better. And even when I coach like adults, I love to coach adults, but it would be like the adults of like the parents of the, that I would coach. Cause I would, I would be, I would be available to coach. So I would, but I like to coach adults because then I can over communicate and talk in the way that makes me realize kids need to hear too. Cause the parents can articulate their thoughts a little bit more clearly. Um, but I remember just c- kind of having this awakening when I was coaching at a country club, you know, it's like, it was a up to do country club kind of thing. And it, it did make me, I coached there all through college. So I was there my fir- before my freshman year because I moved up because my coach, my high school coach did not actually want me to go to NC State. So okay. when I signed with NC State, um, I kind of, like there wasn't a good connection there anymore, which kind of made me sad. But I remember on April Fool's Day of my senior year of high school, I basically quit the swim team because I'd already signed. Right. And I was like, this is not a joke, but for my own mental health, and my grades, I have to actually focus on what, what is true and real. And since he kind of gave me like the silent treatment, which that was sad. Yeah. It was kind of like, it was, but it, it, it was me taking initiative for myself. So I went to swim early. So I, I basically did summer school before my freshman year. So the first year I coached at this country club where I coached for eight years in a row, I was on it. So I was that like, you know, I would just swim the 50 butterfly or the, what, you know, I would swim all the races to get the points, but I would win. And I didn't, I felt kind of bad. I was like, I'm taking this from a kid, you know, like (laughs) coach Victoria's getting in and winning, but it was more of the energy outside of that. It's like, I earned respect and I earned grace and poise that I didn't, I did earn it. Right. But it was like, it was just, thrown at me once I got out like whoa you're that girl that went that beat all the boys and like I I would try not to hear that so loudly so I think once I started to really focus on what that was later in life it was the the elite sport status it's like I mean you you see that in in tennis it's like you only hear of the top five for so long right yeah oh yeah and then all the those that are on I've written blogs about that but the the, to know what the guys go through on like the challenger series tour and how you know there's so few that's what I was saying there it's just you know to reach that status so it's interesting to hear, but not necessarily surprising to hear that you, you know, did not find yourself, you know, staying in that realm, you know? Um, so you've, you've adjusted, I'm guessing to being quote a normie as you, as you called it. Right? Yeah, I you, think you so. Consider yourself to be, do you feel, um, do you feel, have you been able to sort of you know, cause it's been some years since you've been out of college, but do you still identify yourself as a swimmer? 
it's weird because I, I, I can only say sometimes, um, but it's when I tap into that, that for lack of a better word, like Glennon Doyle uses it. She calls it the knowing. It's yeah. like when you know things are like ways you should go, that's what I miss about my sport. And I try to apply it to things that are mundane, like even like a job, like right now I work in bartending and waitressing and it's like those mundane little things. I like to do it with joy. You know, it's like, yeah. oh, I want to be the best at cutting limes. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, that sounds ridiculous. But with any sport, you have to be so good at the mundane. Like you have to be just as good at stretching as you are as cooling off and warming down. And if you ignore those two things for years, you're going to have many injuries that are going to, you know, all these little things. But once you start yeah. to... The mundane, the mundane, I would say too, it's like the discipline that, that, yeah. that sport requires too, that you, you, that you're, and it's also that continual improvement and having that attitude that you're saying like, I can do this and try to try to be better every, yeah. every day, no matter what that task is. That's really cool to hear. And, yeah. you know, speaking of, so asking you that question, uh, you know, how do you, you know, do you still feel like you're a swimmer at heart? I guess you'll always be a swimmer at heart, but, um, I definitely want to delve into some things you've been doing since, you know, and so the coaching, does the coaching continue? I want to, or did you, yes, you I, mom, I know you're busy. You have uh, two young kids. And so does the, does the swim coaching continue right now? Well, so I took a couple of seasons off when I first had my first one. And then I actually ended up going back. I went to a different club, which was weird because I, you know, it was just a, I wanted to go back to the original club where I was, but I just didn't think I was welcome there. So um, I coached at this bigger club, which was a lot of kids and it was kind of too big for me. Like it was trying to be too much for me for what I thought those kids should be doing. Um, But there was a weird thing. It was the summer of beaver fever. I don't know if you remember hearing about that. Yes. It was like these kids got really sick from like a water infection. And it was like standing water is what causes it. But it like everybody got diarrhea and like everybody was sick without really talking about it much because it's embarrassing to talk about that you have like these symptoms. Right. symptoms. But as a result, like all the pools in Raleigh got them. So this was like the first year I had my baby. So I was like, he's not going in this water. He's not going in any water. So I'm also a germaphobe. Thanks to probably, you know, being a doctor's daughter. Um, But I was just, it was like a weird timing. It was a lot of kids and I just, I didn't feel as connected to the coaching as I had before. And then I ended up going back to the club where I had coached for a long time and loved it because it was the right amount of, of, of swimmers they created their own league to be finished with summer league swimming by the 4th of July, oh, which okay. some, some teams it's like still going hot and heavy. It's every day, weeks and weeks. And it's like, if you don't love swimming, it's a lot. It's a lot, honestly. Right. And right. it was, it was my life, but we could walk to the pool and like, you know, it was just, I, I can't, it's a lot to ask these parents and these busy lives. So the modern application of my skill set is like a sprinter. I'm like, all right, give me six weeks with your kid. I'm going to change their life. (laughs) So it was like a sprint with, for me. And I just remember seeing kids apply these skills and these little, I got, I love streamline. Like I make kids do streamline walks. Cause like even that streamline, those muscles, I would do so much dry land with them before practice that they all got stronger at those little things. Yes. And then 
they got to apply how much work they could put in. Like so, these kids didn't want to miss practice. Right. So the coaching was with kids. Uh, the For most sure. Recent. And does and, it continue now? Or you, because I know you have two children now. So are you, have you taken? Yeah, well, I actually tried, I tried to go back to that club last summer and I thought I was going to be a shoe in and I had a baby and you know, <laughs> it was like, it's after, it was only afternoon. So I thought it was fine. But the, um, the, this is going to maybe enrage you, but the, the club director, she said to me, um, well, we, we think this is the season of your life where you should be spending time with your kids. Ooh. And I was like, yeah, um, mm, no, that wasn't, I might, I might've used some choice words since I knew I wasn't getting my job back. I said all the things that I've been holding back for years. I was like, look, you've made a lot of things hard for me. You've made picking out the t-shirts hard for me. And like, me getting my meals, you know, from the snack shop hard for me. I know that you don't speak nice of me behind my back, but this takes on a next level of like, right. You're sabotaging my love for coaching. So you felt very much boxed out of that opportunity because of, you know, being a mother and, you know, that, that is not the type of story that, you know, as a, as a woman that you like to hear about, no. I'll tell you, I, you know, my, myself as a woman, you'd, you'd want to encourage women, no matter if they've had a, if, you know, working mothers are wonderful. And so I'm sorry to hear that. that it was that. so frustrating. I couldn't believe it was happening to me. I remember having an outer body experience and being like, almost having to explain myself. I'm like, I'm with my kids all day. Their dad comes home. I want to go do something that means right. something to me. And so it was just, it was a very like defining moment. So okay. I didn't yeah. coach and it was, you know, pandemic. So everything was weird. Right. Um, but every Tuesday night I would just think I would like look up at the sky, like thinking of a swimmy, like um, where I could be helping yeah. these little kids and like making sure they stay in the water until everybody finishes. I still love teaching that I lesson that. because uh, yes. And I would see all the other clubs by the end of the season doing it. And the parents, some of the parents, you know, would just pull their kids out and be so celebratory. And right. I'd be like, put your kid back in the water. There's so a lot of summer what league. What you call summer. that again, that concept, that, that idea that you had, and you said you saw there, because I really do love that idea. It just, I mean, I call it good sportsmanship, but right. I think it's, I think it's being hum- humble and humility and like. Yeah, I love that. And so, and that was something that from your background with the <laughs> leadership training and of, of elite athletes and just your perspective as one and, um, and, be, and, and being around them, just understanding how important it is to be humble. Yeah. And, and I never love that. So you did make an impact regardless, oh, of, sure. regardless of whether they invited you back <laughs> recently. For sure. But, I um, hope so. Right. And even like now I coach, like some of my friends will be like, can you teach me how to teach my kid how to swim? And right. at the beginning of the summer, my friend who has a pool in her backyard, she has a three-year-old and this little girl, I don't go into any private lessons with any expectations. Right. Right. Um, this little girl told me what she was going to learn. She told me how far she wanted to swim. Like yep. I was following her lead the whole time. And in three, I think it was maybe four swim lessons total that we did she was swimming, like racing across the pool as fast as she could from like that doggy paddle originating. Cause a lot of what we're doing now is overprotecting a young generation. Like the puddle jumpers are awful for body position and swimming. Like it makes kids be upright in the water when swimming teaches you to be flowing with the water. Yes. So, so many of the swim lessons that I'm teaching, <coughs> sorry, I have a tickle in my throat. So many lessons I'm teaching are actually just to break that habit of right. being of like bobbing and having their head like so oh, high above the water. The water, yeah. So 
so I'm just doing these little tweaks, but I'm also teaching the parents. I'm like, here's why your kid is doing this. And I'm like, please don't ever use that float again. I mean, it's good on a boat or at the ocean if they're flopping in the waves because <laughs> it's going to keep their head up. But otherwise, it's not teaching them to swim at all. It's just safety for you so that you can know they're safe. Yeah. So there's like a back float that I make them do. And like, I always make sure they have good goggles. But I apply this knowledge to anyone who wants it. I don't even like to charge for it, honestly. Mm-hmm. But if I do charge lessons, it's like, People ask me what my going rate is. And it's like, I do not want it to be, I don't want to be holding a silver spoon only. You know, it's like, I'm right. I'm like, you're trying to, you try you based on someone's circumstance, you try to work with them and and be reasonable about it. So I'm I'm hearing that you still, um, you're, you're, you're have nights where you miss the fact that you're not, you didn't get the chance to go back to that club, but you are still having an impact with, um, you know, some of your friends, children, and you still are coaching, but I know also uh, that you have been involved for quite a while with a company and I actually have another acquaintance who uh, she's also with them, but um, the Juice Plus, the NSA Plus, which is nutraceuticals. And um, I understand you feel very strongly about that, that like food is medicine. So, you know, can you talk with me a little bit about that? And then also, you know, is that something that when you have, is that something that's just been separate from your coaching? Like, do you keep that apart from swimming or is, are some of those messages, uh, do you deliver those messages about, you know, food as medicine to the people you're coaching as well? Oh yeah. I, I about that a bit. Those, those are amazing questions. Cause, okay. So I'll give you a quick background is my dad found out about juice plus when he had a drug rep come into his office and she was like 10 months pregnant and she just runs some like personal bests or something. And my dad was like, what are you? (laughs) And she was like, well, I take juice plus. And he was like, what's that? And so he literally just kind of found it. And then he was like one of the first doctors to really get behind it because doctors typically have to get behind pharmaceuticals. So for him to see that this was something that he could apply and he did, my dad was like, I mean, we were past, he was like handing out sign-up sheets. This is like before social media or technology. And I was like 10 or 11. Wow. And so and it was Juice Plus, I, it's been my understanding. I've, I've only been exposed to it, uh, you know, briefly, but it was my understanding that is it, that it's vegetables, it's giving people their, um, nu- it's nutrition. Mm-hmm. And is it whole foods or it's, it's giving yeah. people their, their daily vegetable and fruit allowances that people are not able to get through their normal diet. And is it like it's powder or these pills or how does that? So it's even, it's even one step up. This guy named Smokey Santillo was juicing his father's food for him. His father's like on his deathbed and he saw a complete turnaround, but he wasn't just juicing like basic macronutrients. Like he was trying to get a little bit of all these fruits and vegetables that that carry such high micronutrient density, like an apple has like 5,000 vitamins and minerals and they're finding more vitamins and minerals in an apple every study, right? It's like an unending source of life. So his thing was like, well, if I can just get as many different fruits and vegetables into my dad's body as possible, I can turn turn the cancer cells around. And he did. And then so he went to the company that was a water filter company. And he was like, I have this idea, but I need to, I need like high production to do it. And so what they do is they emulsify fruits and vegetables at their peak ripeness, which doesn't mean juicing them. Some of them are juiced based on the parts of the fruits and vegetable to remove it. That's inedible. 
but there's so much nutrient density in like the peel of the apple and all these things that we don't bite into necessarily. We don't think we should, but that the, the free radicals in our bodies absorb, go into, and then leave our body and then leave our body with like health and purity. And like really that the, honestly, the inflammation that happens from eating processed foods and stress and the things that, you know, we're going to do, it's going to happen. So he basically took this this concept and was like, I want to apply it to a a capsule or a gummy so that I can get it in people as, as easily as possible. And as, as bioavailable as possible. So nothing in the process is heated. It's all done in a cold process. And even the company, I've been watching this now for (laughs) more than 20 years. I've seen the company, even like when blueberries or there was a blueberry, some kind of situation from their farmer, they researched a better blueberry, a more nutrient dense blueberry, helped turn the fields over and they're used middle farmers. They're not using high production farmers. So the whole thing about the company is to actually understand like the availability that goes into your body, but it is on a micro level. It's not, it's not like these capsules are big. They look huge. But I remember like every time Mm -hmm. my friends would come over, I'd be like, here, take some juice plus you'll feel better tomorrow. And you know, and sometimes my dad would be like, honey, they might not tell a difference tomorrow. It might take like Right. Weeks of them doing it, but it's like eating a salad. It's like, you don't realize how good salads are until you eat more than one. Well, I guess so yeah, to ask you about it, because the hearing that you did it when you were, you said 10 years old, but your dad being a physician was really into it. And so I'm assuming you were using it throughout your swimming career. I mean, like, oh, if you, yeah. you, you're, so you, you've actually been using juice plus yourself, uh, then, and then you, you work as a brand rep for them. And honestly, I feel, I feel like a bad brand rep because I, I was like, I remember like horror stories when my dad was like selling to anybody and you know, it was direct sales. Now it is very competitive. And as a competitive athlete, I don't, I don't compete to lose and I don't want, I don't want to fight with anybody. So I'll always take it and advocate for it. But my mom has a very successful business. She's an NMD at the company. She's very great at it. And I just my frustration with it was anytime I would talk about it, I was convinced this person really needed it. They would just give me this list of excuses and the excuses are what bothered me the most. Cause I kind of realized, you know, with nutrition and coaching, sometimes you're helping people out of this, this drowning river situation, but yeah. it's with sociology, I would get to go back and figure out why they were falling in. Like, right what's making this epidemic a thing? Like what is making bad nutrition and, 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 you know, all these things a thing. So to go back and unpack it, like I was lucky enough that I actually got scared into using juice plus because I fractured my skull when I was 13 rollerblading by myself. Okay. And I hit my head so hard that I had what's called a contra coup. So like my brain and my skull bruised each other. And I had a hairline fracture that actually saved my life because the swelling would have completely compromised me cognitively. And I remember a doctor showing me one of my hairs and being like, this much more or this much less, and you would not be the same way as you are now. And it was a very like, is this normal? Do all doctors do this? Like I was, (laughs) I'll never forget it. But 
it, 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 it woke me up and my mom was at my bedside table every day and she wasn't a huge juice plus believer. I mean, she kind of thought my dad was like over the top with it a little bit. And she was like, Oh, another one of these things. <laughs> but when I wasn't eating and I wasn't able to access the food, even hospital food is not right. to heal your body. <laughs> right. Um, she was like, you're going to take juice plus. And we almost take extra juice plus. It's like, yeah. We all of it, always, 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 always. So for me, it's just, it's a foundation that I know that my body had. And even in college, when I would like sometimes go against my parents and stop taking it, my face would break out. I would be choosing food that I know I didn't need. Oh, yes, yes. And so there is that whole understanding of it. And the company itself has really evolved. I feel, I feel like I grew up with it. Right. So now when I see anybody selling it, I'm like, good on you. But also I, think, I really, yes, I, nutraceuticals, really I, I do think that you definitely, and your dad's involvement with it, uh, it's like, it was probably ahead of its time. I, I, it seems as if more and more, I'm just feeling that way right now that more and more people are realizing food is medicine and that it can have such a, you know, impact on your not just your physical health, but your mental health. And I wanted to ask you about that. Um, yeah. Is that I wanted to get your thoughts about, uh, you know, mental health. I know you said mental health and balance, you know, is so important to you. And I wanted to ask you about parents of young athletes um, and, you know, how, how young do you think uh, children should be, you know, ath- athletic children, like how young is it, is it too soon to, to start working with the, you know, looking at not just that what they're eating, but also the mental health side? For oh. Because I, I know, I think it's uh, Goldie Hawn has her, um, I don't know if you've heard of that, her mindfulness, uh, like there's a foundation, I think the Hawn Foundation, but it's all about kids and trying to get them to practice mindfulness and mindful meditation. But I wanted to touch on that with you because it, I'm hearing you say you studied sociology, you you studied coaching and leadership, you have worked with adults, you've worked with kids, and that then with the Juice Plus connection with your dad and what happened to you, you were able to um, obviously sort of see things in, I don't want to say, we all can can look at things in parts of our lives in, in pieces, but it seems to me that balance, it's, it's striking me that you are someone who is healthy, you're trying to be balanced. So with kids, like how, what are your thoughts on that? Because I know there are well, a lot of parents and, and they want their kids to succeed, not just in school, in the classroom, but also on, on the court or in the pool. So what, sure. about, what about balance with diet and, and exercise and co- training and then, um, you know, mental health? Well, I think, you know, to kind of almost answer partially my the first question too, is like, there's, there's no such thing as too early with this stuff. And even with, you know, you asked if I, if I would coach nutrition, I tell every kid, any time I'm giving them food, I like to give food as I don't love to cook. I love to give food the way it was prepared by the earth. So I'll cut up fresh fruits and vegetables all day. And I will explain to my son, this does this, this does this for your body. If you, you know, it's like, it's, it's more than just if you're thirsty, drink water. It's like, if you need sustained energy, have some carbohydrates, here are some carbohydrates. It's like, it, it's almost like you can over-educate a very young child. And I think especially with mental health and especially with 
you know, what we know now is mental health is like sometimes our parents' voices in our heads. Mm -hmm. And that starts with like the first, I mean, all the, what is it that I heard recently? All of the trust that you learn is in the first four months of your life. Well, imagine all the vocabulary that you have around food is probably formed in the first few years. Right. So even when a parent is like feeding you baby food and like looking disgusted, because it looks disgusting. Right. It's like you have to train. I would train myself as a parent to be like, oh my gosh, this is yummy. And like, oh, this is going to, you know, this is, and we, uh, you know, for, we have, you know, we have boys. So we say things make you strong and fast because who doesn't want to be strong and fast. And so I think just like listening to your body and knowing what it needs by having all the options, at least available to you in your mind, like, you know, grapes help your stomach, help you poop if you need to. Bananas are good for your muscles. You know, oranges, you know, replace that, the vitamins after sweating that, you know, you just need to do that. So for mental health, it's like, we need to know what we need to do. Kids need to know, I need a day off. I need... I need to go for a walk. I need, you know, it's like being part of a team too. I mean, you play, and having a sport. I, I personally, I've heard so many uh, friends say that, you know, their tennis was their outlet during COVID and it just helped their mental health to get to be able Absolutely. to, it was one of the few sports you knew you could social distance. But so yeah, the kids having, knowing that physical exertion and physical exercise helps them mentally, their diet you're saying how absolutely so you feel that it's never it's something like you're saying it's never too early in your never and I mean so much of of what we do as moms too is like you know and parents it's kind of like breaking the cycles that 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 we were not aware of so you know kind of doing this thing it's like a the concept of like if you go back you basically have everything that you are working with before eight years old. So if you go back to your pre eight year old self (laughs) and sit with her and tell her that everything's fine, like the, the needs and expressions that she's, that she has are hers and normal and good for her and good for the universe, because sometimes they get chased out of us. It's like, you think of the first time you were ever seen naked and what that, when that was just, you were too old to be naked. (gasps) go put some clothes on or, Oh, we don't do that anymore. And then all of a sudden what was pure and good and loved is wrong. And it's really hard to shake that wrong. It's like, so I'm, I'm trying to go back and forgive myself for, for things that I didn't know I was doing or now, but now seeing with my kids and this next generation of, of young athletes, it's like, we didn't, we had to break our cycles and I'm seeing that happen. And it's, it's, so reassuring in gymnastics and tennis, these young women and men that are standing up for themselves. And I mean, even Caleb Dressel, it's like, it's funny to me how in all of his Olympic interviews, he always wants to talk about music. He always wants to talk about music. It's like what lights him up, but he's applied that joy. And this is something too, that you athletes that play a sport get to say, what sport do you play? I would be like, I swim. Like we weren't playing, but we made certain things fun. Like it was so fun when I was on a team, when there was a comedian, like I wasn't always the funniest person, but I learned how to be funny from these hilarious people who would like crack a joke before they hit the water. And all you could do was laugh for six laps. Like you just couldn't stop laughing. Yes. The balance and, and the keeping the fun in, in things, even at the elite level, like Caleb, 
to down to, you know, a child just getting started or your yes. elementary age uh, kids, but like trying to, as parents, I think understanding that, and, and it sounds cliche that, you know, because you, you hear about the parents that are just, you know, way over the top and, uh, you know, to, you know, screaming at the, you know, officials and that sort of thing, because they they want so much for their children. But I think that idea, and that's why I'm, I'm glad that we're touching on this of, of, you know, eating, you know, yes, you got to put in the time in the pool or on the tennis court to practice, but you also have got to, as a parent, and make sure that they're, you're considering their mental health and the fun and fun helping with that. And like the jokes, like you're saying, and, and that's a good segue. <laughs> I want to ask another question because I, uh, in the intro, I uh, stated that um, right now you are pursuing a career as a female stand-up comedian. <laughs> so Victoria, I have got to ask you about that and um, wanted to ask you uh, if being a stay-at-home mom, I know you just mentioned that you, you, you know, swam with some funny, you know, folks in your past and you've learned from other funny people, but like, and it sounds like you were saying too, you've, you've always been, you had humor, but you know, had staying, being a stay at home mom, is that driving this right now? Can you tell me about this uh, pursuit? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I think my son is way funnier than me, but it's been, it's been so nice to have the focus of like a study. Like it's almost like I'm studying comedy. Like I studied sociology, like it's always around me. Like, what can I learn from anything? You know, it's like, it's so much, it's mystical. It's this mystical thing that I just notice is everywhere. And, you know, it kind of feels like I started a new high school just as the world shut down. But like with technology, I can see how these people feel about certain things. I love social media for the advantage of having these deep conversations. And it, it's almost like you have the advantage of not being face-to-face because face-to-face, sometimes people can't really say how they feel. Right. And with social media, you just put it in black and white for me, sir. Like I, you just, you, you didn't define narcissism, but you did a pretty good job. So (laughs) it's like seeing these words. And, you know, I also was a part of, um, well, I think a lot of, there were a lot of people who worked in the the restaurant industry who during the pandemic, um, there was the NCPA. I don't know if you heard about that, but it was the North Carolina protection Alliance. And so many stories came out about how we thought we were supposed to be treated. It was just like this, this kind of sexual, like if you're pretty and you work in a restaurant, here's what probably happened to you, but it wasn't okay. It was like, there was a, a, like a, something was making it okay. And because no one feared losing their job, right. Stories came out that wouldn't have before. But what was funny is I didn't see that same kind of thing applied to comedy because I was in the local scene so some people are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe people are doing shows. How dare they invite people out that's murdering them, you know? But I saw it as an opportunity to get on stage. I didn't care if there was nobody in the audience. I just wanted <laughs> to get my jokes out. Like I have a whole little stack of like my little, like my little sheets. Like I just, I just take like one little card up there and I'm trying to talk about like, this says like modernizing women and men. Like I, like I, I, your conditioning like it was like it was almost like me doing my sociology but out loud I'm like I can't just talk to my kid like you can't take this anymore (laughs) but so so 
so your children are, you said your little boy's funny, but so this was, so you're saying working in the restaurant industry, so that, and, and being a stay-at-home mom, but that was sort of driving, and then COVID, the, the, the situations that were happening, happening. I do, uh, I have, I have read that comedy sometimes can be driven, you know, from tragedy, you know, that, and, and that that's also a mental health, you know, coping mechanism too for people if you can laugh you know you're not crying <laughs> as I right. say and I, so I, I, you um you've been involved with is it the Raleigh Real organization mm-hmm. can you tell me what that is and, and yeah is that, so is that where you're going to do where have you been performing is that through that well so that's kind Raleigh? of like my own personal brand I kind of created a window um on social media because I was like I want to create an entertainment brand that isn't about me not my kids or like what food I like. I want it to be about the authenticity that I'm discovering in comedy now. And so the first little thing that I hosted was kind of like, um, it was kind of, we were all spread out very, you know, six feet ish. Everybody was clear of COVID, but I wanted to talk to comedians about like what needs to be done here. Like what, what can we do as a, as a team in comedy and comedy is a very individual sport, let me tell you. Yeah. And so I think I think with swimming, my background in swimming is I'm very aware of that. And everyone has different skill sets and they're good at different events and they have their own technique of doing it, right? And that's fine, but I'm so curious as to what I can do to heal people. Like really heal them. Like if I give somebody a catchphrase that keeps them from going to that really dark place that hurts, I've, I know we all know, even in, even in like swimming and tennis, if you go to that place mentally, you sometimes need a key phrase or someone to know that key phrase, like your parent or your best fan. The reset phrase, we call it in tennis. A lot of people talk about that. If things are, you know, if you're crashing in in a match, you you have a a reset phrase or something. And, and, and I find it interesting to say that you want to heal people because that you are a coach and you have been, you know, through, you were coached and then you have coached and continue to coach this with swimming, but now, and, and then you're studying, you know, comedy, like you did sociology, but sounding like hearing you say you want to heal people through the comedy uh, and more, you know, helping other comics, you know, comedians, uh, you know, and, and I love that, that you're trying to pull together, you know, a group, but it, it does sound like to me, like, you are a coach, like, because that is what a coach does. They, they figure out a way to reach someone to make them see that they can be better or that they, they're, they're a winner or, or that they can, they can um, get over a loss. Yeah. That, right. That they can, how to, how to look at, it's all about perspective. And so that, that seems really fun. Um, I wanted to ask you about, jokes specifically I'm sure you probably you might have some swimmers jokes but I I'm guessing you might not have any tennis funny jokes uh but I didn't know if you have anything funny related to you know tennis well you might want to I share. do actually I have this funny moment where um so I played tennis in middle school but nothing I wasn't you know I, I just wanted to get this get the shirt and like show I could play it but my youngest sister Olivia was really good and she was at this championship level you know thing and I'd been out you know I don't hang out around tennis courts often 
but I was cheering for this girl like it was a swim race, right? Like I was like, yes, you've got this. And my sister basically like at the break, she was like, you have to stop cheering for me like this. This is not helping me. And I was like, are you sure? Like, what do I need to do? Like, what, what can I say? Like, cause it was like, I knew my energy, my palpable energy could do right. something. Cause I mean, yeah. you know, even in, you know, it's, but in tennis, it's so weird. Like I would be like, Ugh, like, huh. Yes. I'm just like heaving and hoeing with her. But like, <laughs> but like, I think I told you this at the party, she's kind of a lobber. So I would be like, slam it down her throat. <laughs> and my sister would just look at me like, <laughs> and it's like I, I wasn't used to be people even being able to look at me because like in swimming you can't I can hear people based on certain tones in their voice at a turn I know who's cheering for me maybe it's just my body knows right but in tennis you can like look somebody in the eye and be yeah. like stop that <laughs> and I remember you know, it's like um, being that perfect audience member I was like <gasps> I mean I still get in trouble in comedy because like when comedians ask questions, I blurt out the answer. I'm like, oh, you didn't want me to answer that? I'm like, I don't understand. <laughs> and sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. And you can't always tell. So right. it was, it's just funny. It's like, I remember that moment and like having to learn as a sister and as a fan, yes. like what was best for her to win that race, to win that competition and not me winning a race. Yeah. But I just remember being like, if it was me, I would want someone making me laugh and like right. screaming, that's my sister! Like as loud as I could. Like, but it's like, funny. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, it reminds me of a, of a singles match I had probably six years ago. But uh, there was a woman and she was a young mother and her husband and young son were her cheering section. And I had no... No, no, no family members, you know, there, but I ended up winning. It was like a tie break and I ended up winning it, but I really, she was so, it, it was a great match. I mean, it was so close, but like, I remember thinking that was like, oh, wow. And they were out in the grass. I mean, we were playing an evening match and it was, you know, at a town court, uh, here locally. And so it was just amazing. But, um, to, to see that she had fans, you know, and they were clapping and, you know, but it was her husband and her little, um, her little boy. So, uh, it, it's it, I, yeah, it's just real it's, energy. Yeah. And, um, it's the, the, like you said, the mundane getting back to a point that you made earlier about, you know, the, the more normal aspects of life and the mundane, the mundane things sometimes, you know, you can, you can get through them with your attitude and, and looking at, things and trying to look at it from a comedic perspective right seeing right seeing what's funny you know in the mundane but um so that, that's neat to know I also want to ask you do you have any um female comedians that you know have inspired you I you know I think of, I know you're not that old but you know Joan, Joan Rivers was someone who's passed away, but she was, you know, she hosted Johnny Carson show for a while and then had her own show. But I know she, she had like a, a I think a, a catalog of all of her jokes. I think her daughter said like, I mean, it's it just, I can't even remember how many, but I didn't I know. Think she, I think she did note cards. Which I've seen a couple of her note cards and she's so impressive. And her tagline is really nice too. Like she, she does that thing. That's like, let's talk about it kind of vibe where she definitely like she like loosens up the audience and makes them feel like part of her conversation. And that's like such a skill that I would love to hone in on. But I, I think 
Definitely. No, I love Joan. I, I saw her mostly for her fashion in, in the yeah. era of which <laughs> I grew up. She was like that fashion. Yeah, the fashion police. Terracon. Yeah. Everybody was like, make sure you don't right. piss off Joan. Like, wear <laughs> what Joan likes. Um, but I think, you know, studying them now, it's like Carol Burnett, Irma Bombeck. Oh, yeah. Um, going back that far and just what they did for the way women could communicate their feelings. I think that's, it's, it has to be like pognant and the way a man likes it. So kind of in like three points or less or something like that, like short and sassy and maybe, you know, wearing a nice dress or something. So just the science of that's been really interesting. Um, I grew up loving to watch Chelsea Handler when she was on the bad girls club. She just really, bull she just like went into that china cabinet like she did not care what was breakable and like i love that energy about her um i've really gotten into like sarah silverman and her in her in her new her newer vibe Mm -hmm. the way she's communicating her vulnerability and like yeah maybe she said some things that she shouldn't have said i think that is a a place that we can all learn from um but also she's communicating still like she's talking through it She's trying to make people laugh, but she's mostly just letting her heart speak. And, yeah, you know, she's cultivated that voice. And Whitney Cummings, I, I saw her show recently, but even for her show, we accidentally got like kind of like bumped out of the seats. And I sent her a message like, hey, I bought these tickets like the first day they came out. I've done everything I was supposed to do, but it seems like these guys are kind of throwing you under the bus because it was like the people who run this in this uh facility and she was like what and she made sure I had a table at that show and I I even said like I'm so I I sent her a screenshot of the email correspondence between me and these and this guy and he just like didn't respond to me for 10 days and then was like oh "Oh, we don't have tickets for that anymore I'm like well after a week and a half of course you wouldn't have tickets for that but well she responded if she responded and even her assistant we talked on the phone and he was like don't ever don't ever apologize for standing up for yourself. And that, that to me is the fact that we're still in this arena. Like when females in comedy are, are, it's something so special. I feel like I I'm so honored to be a part of this team that I, I don't mean to be a captain of it. I don't want to be the captain of it, you know, but I, I'm doing it. I want to do it. I want to use my, my coaching and the energy that medicine that I've kind of learned that you can speak, you can speak through real pain and help someone. Like I've heard a joke just when I needed to hear it. And it definitely kept me from slipping away. It was a reset phrase for me that I've never heard before. So, you know, I always think about, you know, when I was coaching, I would use the, the rule of threes. I would get someone's attention amazingly people love to hear their name believe it or not i know it sounds crazy and all but it's like that there we are all kind of given a bird call and it's our name people love to hear their name then i would do something funny to like desensitize them a little bit realize they're not in trouble and then i would give them a lesson like if if some kid was like walking on the bottom of the pool i'd be like i'd be like john john (laughs) And he would hear his name, but also was like, is this a bird call? And then he would look up at me and I would say, I really love your goggles today. They really match your bathing suit. But do you think you could stop walking on the bottom of the pool? Because it's definitely swim practice, you know? And then it was like, I would try to say in a way that was like, hey, I see you. I'm noticing what you're going through. And I'm thinking we can do better. And 
that to me with comedy is like the kind of coaching I liked to hear. Even when I was falling off, if my coach would say something snarky to me, I would shut down. I would shut down. Like if you punch down at something I'm doing, like, Victoria, I know you're having a bad day, but get over it. I would just be like, Right. Right. Yeah. It's not what we needed. So like, I don't know. I feel like the, the generation of female comedians, you know, I've only just recently started studying Irma Bombeck and I feel like she's like my new mother. She's like a mom figure to me. I want to, I want to soak in all her words. Oh yes. Um, yeah. I'm so glad to hear and, you know, hear this because I can tell that it's, you're really experiencing joy, um, through this new pursuit. And it also seems to, even though one might not think that, you know, that path would be connected, the, the swimming, being the, the, the college athlete swimmer into, you know, coaching and, and then into comedy, but it makes, you know, the sociology background, but it makes sense. And, and that's your path. And it, you can tell that it's bringing you joy. And so that's what I love to hear, to see as well, you know, when people find their, their joy. And yes. um, I want to ask you a final question. Okay. Uh, since we close it up soon. Um, yeah, this has been, this has been fantastic. I could talk to you for hours. Um, I know. I hate it. It's almost over. Yeah. Um, so back to, you know, to swimming and tennis and just athletes in general, and this idea of comedy um, and, and, looking at and the the balance i want to get back to that this idea of um comedy but related to balance in life you know physical mental health you know what would you say you know do you have any advice for just the average you know beginner um who's like getting involved and i would say i'm talking about adults now um, I'm not sure how many kids we do have some kids who are following love, love tennis on Instagram, uh, which is great, but I'm not sure how many kids right now might be listening, but I know probably parents are and adults, but for, for someone who is like getting started or wants to get started in a sport, you know, do you have any advice, um, that sort of ties into comedy and how they might approach, like not taking themselves too seriously, maybe, or do you, do you have any thoughts on, uh, you know, beginner beginners and why you would encourage somebody to maybe uh, give it a shot. Well, I think there's a, you know, there's a really good adult approach to trying things. It's like, don't be afraid to be a C student. Like so much of what we fear is perfect, being perfect. It's like, I don't want to do it until I can do it. Yet by thinking that for so long, you end up sort of burying your dreams. And I think so much of what we're, we're seeing now with, everything, you know, we kind of talked about this a little bit before we started recording is like the opioid crisis and even the upswing in like suicide and drinking and all these things that we do to ourselves. is if we really sit and sober sit and think about things we want to get better at, I would say in no, in, in no instance would playing a sport not help you. You know, playing a sport is definitely going to help you. And so for me with tennis, it's like, I I always think about tennis as being a sage sport because people do it for so long and they're, and they're so healthily doing it, True, but you have, you have to know when to hold them and when to fold them, especially with like the overtraining of athletes that comes with that obsession with winning. It's like, you can always be training. 
but also that doesn't always mean moving your body. Like sometimes training is reading a book that really helps heal your mind or going to a comedy show or, you know, definitely having a good chiropractor, definitely, I mean, body work and energy work and all these things that, I mean, these older athletes without them, they couldn't successfully be doing their sport. But also it's something that I think we can all learn from the elites is, you know, you can be so elite at something that you shouldn't have to like just abandon that to do something else. Like you still have the practices in place to, to be great in other things, but you might start off getting C's and D's and that's okay. Like you might, you might be a lobber. You might not get your serves in. Like, I definitely know that that holds me back from playing tennis with some of my friends, but one of my friends is actually, she's taking beginner, uh, tennis and I'm like anytime you want to play like I probably am still a beginner based on like my sport you know but my parents still play my sister plays with my dad every time she can and that's how they bond she even said because my dad has had he's had some um he had a stroke a few years ago a TIA so like he healed from it but every now and then you can tell he's like kind of just walking the earth but she said the last time she played tennis with him she was like he's still in there like That's so fantastic to hear. And I love that, that thank you for sharing that advice that, that people should, if you're considering getting started with a sport, be it tennis or, you know, starting to swim as an adult, something you haven't done before yeah. um, to, to not be afraid to fail at the beginning, just like get over ourselves. And then, like you said, too, it's also, it, it's not, you, I think I just heard you say, you know, it could never be a bad thing to try to start a sport. But if you, if you, if you're not going to do that, you know, go check out a comedy show, do some things that keep, keep it fun and, and help bring some of that joy back into your life. I think that that's great advice. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. This has just been, it's been a yeah. fabulous uh, discussion and network. We were, we got to, come to an end here, but maybe I can have you for another episode. And I just wanted to say that it's just been a pleasure to hear your perspective. And I know you have so much going on being a a working mom and mother of two young ones and and being so busy. So I really appreciate you taking the time uh, with Uh, us, Victoria. It's perfect. Ezra's behind me asleep right now. And (laughs) it feels like, it feels like chaos, but like, I think that's the practice in you know, any sport, it's like, it's almost better when it's busy. It's like, it's like when it's too still, I'm like, I, I I don't, I, I will leave it with, I think it was PT Barnum, the, uh, who said that rest can be found in action. So I I know I like that in my life. So it sounds like to me, that's what you're sort of living to. You've got a lot of things going on and you're finding joy and who you are through it. So congratulations. And um, I just want to say that I know our Love Love um, Tennis podcast listeners have enjoyed this as much as I have. And Absolutely. I want to wish you just the very best. I hope to see you on stage and, and hear some of your jokes in 2021. Thank you. I hope to play tennis with you one day. Yeah, that would be fun. Okay, well, thank you again. Thank you. And that's a wrap. If you liked listening to this episode, don't miss visiting our website, love-lovetennis.com to check out more episodes and more content about all things tennis.
because Love Love Tennis is where tennis talk starts.